Amen. It's great to be with you. Amen. All right. Hey, kids, before I dismiss you with Pastor Jeremiah, I didn't tell him I was going to do this, so he's standing there awkwardly. But you can just stay there right there, Pastor Jeremiah. We like you a lot, so feel secure. Hey, every now, yeah, give it up for Pastor Jeremiah. He's been a great addition to our staff team. You see? See how that all worked out in your favor? But we also have another really exciting um, announcement. Sometimes it's just good as a church family to celebrate things together um, that happen, that are exciting. We have two amazing youth pastors in our church, Nick Mastrude, who preached last week, and Luke Emery. They've been best friends since middle school. That's crazy, isn't it? And now they are both expecting children together. That's right. Luke and Danica are expecting their second, and Nick and Allison are expecting their first. The due dates are like, what, two days apart? So, so my, my message today is on codependency. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's really awesome, you guys. We're thrilled for you. Pray for them. We're going to celebrate with you, and um, we're just excited for the days and weeks and months ahead. So um, we'll be praying. That With that, kids, you are dismissed to your classrooms We are thrilled to have you with us. Pastor Jeremiah has been patiently waiting for you, so enjoy your time. For the rest of you, my name is Dave, and uh, this morning we are continuing our series called Jesus Cares, and we're talking about things Jesus wants us as his followers to make a priority for our lives in this world. And the idea is is that sometimes in life, our priorities get off. Sometimes we get focused on things that aren't exactly in line with what Jesus wants us to focus on. In fact, there's a verse in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, that says, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus is talking here, those are his words, he's talking here about the direction and perspective and focus that the word of God gives us and how the world we live in wants to take that perspective and shift it, shift it away from God and his word. How the world wants to choke out godly perspectives and thinking in our lives and replace it with a worldly priority. Now, from time to time as followers of Jesus, this means it's good for us to stop and reassess and ask, am I thinking like Jesus would want me to think? Am I focused where he would want me to focus? Are my cares in line with his cares? And that's what we hope this series will be for us as a church family, like a realignment. You know, like when you curb check with your car and one of the wheels gets off and you have to take it in for a realignment. That's what we want this series to be for our hearts, that our hearts would get realigned with the heart of Jesus. And today, the goal of this message is to align our hearts again with Jesus' peace. The peace that Jesus offers us and wants for every one of his followers to have. And, and friends, I wish this one was easy. I wish I could tell you that today I have three steps for peace in your life and that when you walk out of here this morning, you'll never wrestle with, or wrestle, whatever that is, um, with worry or fear or stress or insecurity ever again. But I can't because the peace-robbing current of this culture 
is powerful. It's consistent and it is ruthlessly committed to keeping you from experiencing the kingdom of God peace that Jesus longs for you to have. Studies tell us that in our country there has never been more recorded fear, worry, stress, and anxiety than there is right now. According to Anxiety, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, 40 million Americans, that's 19.1% of the adult population, 18 and up, is dealing with some anxiety disorder. Between the ages of 13 and 18, that number goes up to 32%. 32% of our teens are dealing with like unprecedented levels of anxiety. Recently, the American Psychological Association put out a study that says 49% of adult Americans report their behavior being negatively impacted by overwhelming stress. Not just any stress. We've all got stress. We're talking about stress that's debilitating. Stress that is literally on their minds and hearts on the daily. One writer said it this way, there is a kind of pervasive angst in our culture, even in the midst of all this material prosperity and all of this supposed freedom, we are engulfed in fears and anxieties and doubts and questions. To put it plainly, there is a kind of cosmic dread that looms in the lives of people in this part of the world and this time in history. And friends, This is not because the world has gotten harder. Has the world gotten harder? It has not. (laughs) When you think back over the centuries and the things people faced just to survive, we actually have it on a lot of levels relatively easy. There's always been the fear of disease and the fear of rejection and the fear of failure and the fear of the future. Add to that the fear of not being able to feed my family tomorrow. But now in our world, thanks to the media, we not only carry our own fears, but the troubles of this entire world are constantly popping up on our cell phones. We fear school shootings and police shootings and economic fragility. We fear the demise of our planet and natural disasters. In Oregon, we fear the earthquake. How many of you, if you're honest, would say, yeah, I think about the earthquake late at night sometimes. I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of not. A few years ago, I read an article that that cited statistics revealing that Oregon teens were more worried about the earthquake, the earthquake. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're not from Oregon. (laughs) Not an earthquake, the earthquake. More worried about the earthquake than anything else. Now that study was before a global pandemic, but but I do want you to think about this. It's been a long, long, long time since some of you were a teen, but I promise if you think back, the things that you were most worried about were not natural disasters. It may have been that your grades were a natural disaster or that your social life was a natural disaster, but you were not worried about a real natural disaster. The point is this, worry, fear, stress dominate the landscape of our culture and they want to dominate us. They want to hold us back from becoming the people that God longs for us to be and living the lives that God longs for us to live. And so today's message is Jesus cares about peace in a time of fear stress, and anxiety. 
Listen to these words of Jesus. This is John chapter 14. This is what he speaks to his followers. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Friends, this morning I want to talk about what Jesus means by peace. What the real enemy of peace is. There's confusion on that. And finally, where we find the peace that Jesus offers. What Jesus means by peace, where the real enemy of peace is, and where we find the peace Jesus offers. In the Old Testament, the word for peace is the word shalom. It is used 250 times in the scriptures. And shalom shalom is not a simple word. It's a very large word. It's a robust word. In essence, it means a life of completeness, fullness, wholeness, contentment, and satisfaction. Shalom is a word that describes Adam and Eve's experience in the garden before sin and brokenness entered in. It's a way of saying everything is the way it's supposed to be, the way God wants it to be. It's it's well with my soul. That's shalom. The New Testament word for for shalom, for this kind of peace, is the word irene. And Jesus uses this word in our verses today. Here's what a rainy means, a tranquil state of the mind and heart, a satisfied soul. A rainy is a soul at rest. And this is what Jesus offers his followers. This is what he offers you, deep, full, complete satisfaction and contentment in your soul, no matter what is happening around you. And so what then is preventing that? What is the enemy of peace? What keeps you and me from experiencing the peace that God wants us to experience? You know what's striking about this statement is that Jesus makes it on Thursday night before he will knowingly go to the cross on Friday. He's about to go to the cross, and so he sits at a meal, the Last Supper, and he talks to his followers about peace right before the most disturbing, demanding, and distressing moment of his entire life. The very next day, he will be beaten, mocked, tortured, and brutally murdered on a Roman cross outside the city of Jerusalem. He also knows that life moving forward will be difficult for his disciples. In fact, in the next chapter, he says, you're going to be persecuted in the same way I'm going to be persecuted. You're also going to be hated, resented, rejected. Some of you will be arrested. You'll be thrown out of the synagogue, disowned by your families. Some of you will die extremely painful deaths, just like me, and yet have peace. Through it all, even knowing what's coming your way, you can have Peace, you see, friends, Jesus' peace isn't circumstantial peace. Jesus doesn't come and say, you know, life is good and your job is good and your kids are good and your health is good and the bank account is full and your relationships are great. And by the way, did I mention that the sun is coming soon in Oregon so you can have peace? Yesterday afternoon, our family went over to some dear friend's house to celebrate the 19th birthday of their daughter who died unexpectedly this year in a sledding accident. 
an 18-year-old young woman suddenly snatched, taken away, no warning. You see, the world, friends, is all about offering peace at birthdays, but Jesus comes to say, I can offer you peace at that birthday. One of our problems is that, is that we have been convinced that the enemy of peace is trouble. That the thing keeping you, holding you back from peace is, is difficulty and struggle. We've been convinced that the companion, the sort of the bedfellow of peace is happiness. When I'm happy, I can have peace. When things are going well, I can have peace. When everything is lined up, then I have peace. But friends, do you know how often Jesus wasn't happy? Do you know how often Jesus faced difficulty and struggle and trouble in his life? He was hunted by Herod, harassed by the Pharisees, rejected by the, the Sadducees. Even the people of his own hometown tried to kill him. They tried to push him off of a cliff. The Bible tells us that he wept at the tomb of one of his dear friends, Lazarus. The Bible says that Jesus, this is how the Bible describes him, he was a man of sorrows. One of the defining characteristics of Jesus Christ was that he experienced tremendous sorrow while he was here on this earth. And yet, he had perfect peace. Friends, do not fall into the trap of believing that to be a Christian is to have a perfect, trouble-free life of happiness. No. Trouble and sadness and sorrow are not the enemy of peace. In fact, in John chapter 16, at the same meal on that same Thursday night, Jesus says these words. This is a little later in his talk. He says to his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. That word trouble is the Greek word thlipsis, and it means pressure, affliction, distress. Jesus says, if you follow me, if I'm your Lord, if I'm leading your life, that's what's coming your way. Pressure, affliction, and distress. You see, one of the tools for experiencing the peace of Jesus in your life is this. Expect trouble. Expect trouble. Far too many Christians become followers of Jesus and now they expect life to be peachy keen. They expect Jesus just to hand, like to clear the path and everything's going to be great all the time. Like if God is for me, then there'll be no difficulty in my life. That is not what the scriptures say. Expect trouble, they say. Don't avoid trouble. Expect trouble. C.S. Lewis talks about the power of this. He, he gives an example. He says, imagine... Someone leading you into a room, and before you go in, they tell you, before we go, before I open the door here, the room that we're going into is a honeymoon suite. Honeymoon suite, right? And you're thinking, okay, you get some images in your mind, right? Ooh, a honeymoon suite. And then the door's opened, you walk in, you look around, and you are not impressed. The TV is a bit outdated, the couch 
looks worn out a bit. The bed in the corner is not a king or even a queen. It's a double, and the attached bathroom only has a single vanity. What a dump, you say. This is, place is the worst. I'd never stay here. I'd never bring my bride here on my honeymoon or my husband. However, what if... Before we went into that very same room, instead of telling you it's a honeymoon suite, I said, the room we're about to go into is a jail cell. And then I opened the door. Same room, same couch, same bed, same TV, same attached bathroom. Your response would be different, wouldn't it? Of course it would. You'd say, this place isn't so bad. I mean, I could serve time here. I could make this work right? See, expectations are amazingly powerful. Jesus knows this. The scriptures know this. Expectations shape our attitude and our response to situations. And so Jesus says, hey, if you're following me, expect trouble and still have peace because trouble is not the enemy of your peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. The world says, you can have peace when there is no trouble. Jesus says, this is not a trouble avoidance plan. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is talking about the spiritual battle, the fight that Jesus' followers face in this world. And he lists off a bunch of things. He lists off what's called the armor of God. Have you heard of the armor of God? The armor of God is, is sort of a list, a figurative list of the weapons that we will need to use to fight the battles we will face in this world. And friends, one of those weapons is the gospel of peace. You see, peace, according to the scriptures, takes you into the battle, not away from it. We've been convinced that peace means there is no struggle, there is no fight, there is no battle, there is no difficulty. And yet the scriptures say, if you have peace, it's sending you right into trouble and difficulty. Peace is not the result of easy circumstances. It's a tool to help you in the midst of really hard circumstances. That's what the scriptures say. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not let the troubles of this world seep into your minds and hearts such that fear gets a hold of you. Don't let fear get a hold of you, church. Don't let worry get its claws in you. Don't let stress and anxiety begin to take root and drive your life. Jesus is telling us here that the enemy of peace is not trouble. The enemy of peace is the fear of trouble. Fear is the great enemy. It's fear that will hold you back and whittle away your confidence. See, here's what Jesus says and what research in our world supports. When you face your fears, when you take action, when you move towards them and not away from them, even if things don't turn out well, even if when you do that, things don't turn out the way you, you liked or hoped or thought or planned, you, even when they go badly, you will experience a surge of delight inside of you. You will know in your mind, it didn't go well, but I did a tough thing. You will know you took on a challenge. And from that, just a little bit of strength and a little bit of confidence will be, be woven and built into your soul. 
But on the flip side, if you avoid facing your fears, if your whole life is just about trying to avoid troubles and difficulties, even if things work out pretty well, even if they go how you'd want them to go, deep down, you will know that you wimped out, that you took the easy road, the simple path, and just a little bit, the resolve inside of you will begin to shrink. And when you do this time and time and time again in life, your self-worth and your confidence just get chipped away at, and slowly but surely, you will start to forget that you are a person created in the image of the fearless, most high God. You see, God's not afraid, and you were created in his image. You were created not to live in fear either. Friends, have you ever noticed that in the Bible, we are never told, never told, don't be sad. Some of you are thinking, well, it tells you to be joyful. Yeah, you can be sad and joyful at the same time. The Bible says, never says, don't be sad. The Bible never says, don't grieve. The Bible never says, don't mourn. The Bible never says, don't have trouble or difficulty or struggle. The Bible never says, avoid these things at all costs. Jesus never says this, but you know what he does say? He says, don't worry. Don't live scared in this world. Don't be afraid because fear, he knows, will rob you of the peace that God longs for you to have so that you can face the battles in this world. And this leads to our last question, potentially the most important question. Where do we find the peace that Jesus offers Listen to these words again from John 16. Listen to these words from the mouth of Jesus himself. I have told you these things, he says, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, I'll argue that that last phrase is the key to godly peace in your life. If you have it, you will have peace. If you don't have it, you will not have peace. You will only have as much peace as you have that last statement. Take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. That is what I would call the gospel in a phrase. That's the good news of Jesus in one little statement. That even though this world is hard and broken and full of disappointment, things will be made right. Suffering. This is the good news. Suffering will not win. Pain will not prevail. Our God is in control and he is working all things out for his glory and the good of those who love him and follow him. You see, our peace is rooted not in our circumstances, but in the fact that death has been defeated and in the end, God wins. You can have peace in this world. Why? Because in the end, God wins. In the end, the God who loves you and is for you will win. Notice that Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. What has he told them? <laughs> what has he told them? Well, if you read back, you'll discover that for several chapters, he's been telling them things are going to be hard. Like you'd expect like to read back and go like, there's a Tesla coming your way and a brand new house and a really shiny vacation. You're going to win the lottery, right? I have told you these things so that you can have peace in the world. It's not what he says. 
It's actually quite opposite of that. He's saying things are going to be tough. He tells them, I'm going to die. Evil is going to rejoice. The world is going to rejoice, he says. It's going to look as if all hope is lost. But then he says, but it's not. Because I will rise and I will return. And through me, all things will be made right again. That's the gospel. Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. If you're a note taker, you should write that down. It's also the gospel in a phrase. You could put because of Jesus at the end if you wanted, if you're feeling. Friends, what, let me just, let me just pause here. What if you really believed that? I mean, really, I mean, not kinda. I mean, what if you really believed the good news the gospel? What if you really believed that Jesus has overcome the world and all of its troubles? What if you really believed it and trusted it? What if you trusted it? I mean, seriously, what if you lived your life not just saying those words on Sunday, but living them out on Monday? Living your life with, with the supreme confidence and comfort that, that God loves you and was in control of everything that happens such that it would all be made right in the end for all eternity. What if you believed that and you trusted it, you grabbed a hold of it? Wouldn't that give you peace in an economic downturn? Wouldn't that bring you comfort when the doctor walks in with not good news? Wouldn't that give you confidence to take chances and risks and seize opportunities? Because if God is for you, who can be against you? See, the power of the gospel, here's another thing to write down. The power of the gospel isn't just that you'll go to heaven someday. It's that we can live with the comfort and confidence of heaven someday. Now. Now. That's the kingdom of God in you, that's the peace that Christ offers. Peace that will never go away, even when cancer comes or addiction strikes or friends and family let you down or death or loss or grief or pain come knocking on your door. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. I have told you this so that in me you can have peace. This is the peace Jesus leaves us with, and it's not the peace of the world. It's peace that gets us through this world, even when the world is hard. The year was 1873. There was a lawyer in Chicago who that year sent his wife and four children on a boat to Europe. On their way, about halfway across the Atlantic Ocean, there was an accident. Their boat ran into another boat and sank. All four children drowned, a rescue boat found the wife floating unconscious in the water, and she survived. They took her to England, and the first thing she did was wire back to her husband one of the most desolate telegrams in the history of the world. It simply said, saved alone. Saved alone. She came back to the U.S., and she and her husband wrestled with tremendous grief, but they were followers of Jesus. And so in the end, they clung to their faith and they determined, they determined to really believe in the gospel, to trust what Jesus said was true, that he has overcome the world and that all their pain would be made right again someday and that they could have, even in this situation, peace. The husband's name was 
Horatio Spafford, and years later, he would write the hymn, It is well with my soul. I lost all four of my children, and it is well with my soul. Listen to these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Friends, do you have that kind of peace today? Peace that will get you through the tragedies and difficult times in life that will certainly come. Peace that will give you courage to face the world. Peace that will not allow fear to hold you back from being who God wants you to be. It's the gift of Jesus. It's the gift of the good news. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Let's pray. Father, right now there are fears in this room in the minds and hearts of many of us. Some of us are facing just little things. Some of us are facing overwhelming things. Some of us are dealing with grief and loss and pain that we could never have imagined. And yet, Lord, your promise is to come in in the midst of that and to meet us and to remind us of who you are and the good news of your gospel and that you will make all things right. God, give us faith and trust in that. Give us your peace, Lord. Help us to not avoid troubles, but to face our troubles in a way that builds strength and character and peace into our hearts, God. We need you for that. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot manufacture peace on our own, Jesus. We need you. We turn to you. We love you. And we ask all of it in Jesus' name. God's people said,